Welcome to the Ed Spective Podcast with Jared and Jared. Today's big question is something near and dear to our heart. Does career ready mean college bound? Yeah, it's good to have everybody back. And for those of you that might be listening to the show for the first time, this is, is this episode four? We haven't, the FCC hasn't banned us yet. We're still under the radar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if you're just joining us for the first time, you can go back and catch previous episodes uh, where we talk about some things like what should school reopening look like this year? Should districts and states have standardized assessments this year? And should student retention be an option for the school year? And obviously, we're exploring those because of the ongoing pandemic. Uh, but today, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about a non-COVID-19 related topic. Uh, does career ready mean college bound? And, you know, the reason we started this podcast, just to explore some of the big questions related to the field of education and things that Jared and I think are interesting to discuss and hopefully you find them interesting too. So uh, each episode will feature a big question and we'll dive into it and air out some opinions on the topic. Yes, and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and download a few episodes. If you want to follow us on social media, where I think we're probably more clever and witty than we are in real life, you can <laughs> go to... an assumption. <laughs> you can go to Ed Spective Pod or at Jared Bigham or at Jared Myrickle on Twitter. And then also edspective.com has all this information in one convenient place. Yeah. So just to restate our big question, uh, does career ready mean college bound? And I feel like in the spirit of full disclosure, I mean, we obviously need to go ahead and mention that both of us have a few college degrees. So coming at this maybe from a, a certain bias angle but we'll, we'll see it might surprise people where we land on this i think uh it would surprise people to know we have a few college <laughs> yeah that's so true we, we might need to put our credentials up on the website <laughs> so we can prove transcripts <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean it's an interesting question because you know we just live in a different world uh now than we did 20 years ago or even 10 years ago there's just a lot of different pathways so yeah, and, I, you know, I think that um, there's a way for students to access skilled technical jobs without going the traditional four-year college route. But for many people, um, that's that's not the typical thing. They either grew up hearing about from their guidance counselor or their experience in school. And I think for a time there, the pendulum had really – swung to this idea that everybody has to go four-year right right yeah yeah i mean college used to equate to like full-time job successful being able to earn a wage that supports your family and you know it may not be the case now uh here's here's a question i was thinking about as we were prepping for this episode you know in this new high-tech world that we live in um is there something that you would say is a, a frustrating technological advancement and I can give you an example as you think about that I think about uh, robotic customer support like that, that's a technological advancement that I don't necessarily appreciate all the time you know every time you call your credit card company or your mortgage company you, you 
you're speaking to like the virtual assistant and that doesn't always go well. Uh, you're trying to pronounce the word correctly. And it, it reminds me, there's a Seinfeld episode where uh, Kramer's pretending to be the virtual assistant for the movie theater and people, he's like, why don't you just tell me what movie you want to listen to? And like <laughs> people are talking into the phone, trying to find out the movie times. It's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. Imagine having an accent like mine and you're trying to get a robotic uh, <laughs> yeah. machine to understand, you know, my accent. and you really have to like, enunciate, yeah. Yeah, so... Well, uh, the, technology, the technology, unfortunately, has not gotten any better um, in terms of Southerners and really thick accents. I mean, they've made some real major progress in a lot of that technology for, um, oh, what is it called? Um um, it's like, it's like the, the automated voice systems that you see a lot now and things like that, that you can speak into the phone, they'll, they'll detect it, but they still, for some reason, I guess IT people, maybe they just don't like Southerners, but they have a real hard time with thick Southern accents. I, and it's funny. I have the same problem too. And I, my accents, I've got half an accent. So you got, yeah. half of my, you got a quarter of my accent. So. <laughs> I used to have it though. I mean, when I grew up, I, you know, I grew up in rural Tennessee in the mountains and I used to have a really thick accent. I had to lose it when I lived in Canada for grad school because nobody could understand me. <laughs> I don't think I could lose mine for a, a million dollar lottery ticket. Uh, but I, I'll say my frustration now, technological frustration is the daggum self checkout lines at Walmart. <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, and when I go buy groceries, this, you know, I got about 84 kids. So my buggy overfloweth, you know, my cup overflows as I get into the checkout line. And so I'm racing back and forth, you know, between bringing stuff up, buying and putting more stuff on the little table there. And by the time I've done ringing, ringing up a buggy full of groceries, I have broken out in a sweat. Like, I feel like I've done my cardio workout for the day. And now, I'll say, hold on, as a former Kroger uh, grocery bagger, I think this is a brilliant technological advancement to let people check out and bag their own groceries. So, you know, Dude, that would have put you out of a job. <laughs> yeah. You would have been one of those people that technology bumped them out of a job. So, and that's actually that that is a good segue into the that theme is. for the day, the question for the day, because we're talking about how students, young adults can get into some of these technical jobs that do require some training because a lot of those entry-level positions that uh, in manufacturing and other sectors have been, the human worker has been replaced by the robotic worker and the AI. Right. So, yeah, this will be an interesting episode because, you know, unlike some of our other episodes where we tend to share a lot of outside perspective, maybe some of the headlines and stories. Today, we're going to be given some of our own analysis. Uh, and I think, Jared, we can go ahead and answer this big question right up front. We can go ahead and just, you can go ahead and log off after we answer this. Uh, the, the question being, does career ready necessarily mean college bound? And I think our answer is not really, wouldn't not you say? Really. No, not really. Yes, I agree. So we can either stop here or we can go ahead and give some more insight because this is actually something we're semi-experts in. So, yeah. So I think we can keep going. Um, you know, the big stat, Jared, that both you and I have used in our previous work is that 
65% of all jobs are, require some type of post-secondary training. And by post-secondary, we mean after high school. And we're not just talking about any jobs, we're talking about living wage jobs. So, you know, that's a majority of careers, professions are going to require some training of some kind. Yeah. And, and I can, some communities I've worked in, uh, in various roles, that number is even higher. I worked in uh, one community uh, in Southeast Tennessee that actually 83% of the living wage jobs required some type of post-secondary credential. So that, that 65% is even a little soft, I think. Uh, sure. Well, it's an average of yeah. across communities. So, uh, well, you know, I, and I think also we've got some somewhat different perspectives when we look at just from the families we grew up in. You know, I grew up in yeah. a family of educators. I'm a fourth generation educator, and um, it's probably unusual too, even for the times that my grandparents grew up. That my grandmothers had jobs my mom's had always had a job and career that required some kind of training right yeah and I'm kind of on the opposite side of being a first generation college graduate on the the miracle side of the family um you know most of my family's made their living in skilled trades so you know it's obviously possible to support your family that way it's very honorable work and you know you can make a very good living for your family in skilled trades so yeah, I think we definitely see the pathways forwards for students on all sides. The question is, you know, as we move forward, how do we make these options feasible for as many students as possible? Um, and, you know, that that's the real that's the real question. So I think we have to think about high school in a big picture, you know, and make sure that we're considering the the things that students are thinking about you know some students absolutely want to go to a four-year college you know i knew that i wanted to go to a four-year college university when i was in high school but some students aren't so sure they think they might want to but they don't know uh some students absolutely want to go into the military or know that they want to pursue a skilled trade like being an electrician or a welder and then you've got a group of students that they just want to get to work, you know, and start making some type of income as soon as possible. So there's lots of students thinking lots of different things in a high school. So, you know, how do we plan for all of them? Yeah. And we know it's really important for all students to gain some type of education or training post high school. Uh, the question is what makes the most sense for each individual student? There's not necessarily a one size fit all solution. And so we need to look at making these decisions based on what they want to do after high school. Yeah, I mean, we've got to think beyond just offering AP classes or dual enrollment English. You know, those are really great things, but they don't necessarily fit every single student's desired path. Um, so, you know, how does a school district make sure they're providing post-secondary opportunities for every student, especially those students? who want to learn a trade or work in a growing field like advanced manufacturing, because those might be things that high schools or school districts aren't used to planning for. This might be a new, new pathway that they're trying to hash out. Yeah. And I can tell you, it's frustrating for me sometimes when I would talk to school districts about dual enrollment programs and they would only mention those AP type pathways. They didn't talk about some technical uh, dual enrollment uh, pathways that they could introduce in high school. So I think just changing the mindset quite 
quite a bit for some people. And right. I think I think the answer to it actually lies in uh, something I know we're both proponents of, and that's making elementary school about career awareness, just what kind of careers are out there. Yeah. And then middle school is about career exploration where you they look at some sectors they might be interested in, get deeper into exploring that specific sector. And then in high school, it, it really should be about credential obtainment through some type of dual enrollment and work-based learning program. Yeah, I mean, I know in my most d- recent district role, um, we had a career readiness program called LAUNCH. It's actually not an acronym. It just meant, that's which is surprising <laughs> for educators. Uh, it actually just meant we were trying to launch kids into the career of their choice. Uh, but in elementary school, we had this program called Virtual Job Shadow, where kids could participate in, it was like an animated exploration of uh, really popular jobs, like being an electrician or a nurse or a well, you know, just different things to sort of expose them to uh, different careers. And then in middle school, they got to dive deep and do some research on those roles. And then in high school, you know, we, we had multiple pathways for college bound students or students who wanted to get to work, work as soon as possible and work-based learning, you know, was a, was a big part of that. Yeah. And I know work-based learning is one thing we're both passionate about. And I think it's a great example of how students can start down a non-traditional pathway of career readiness and and learning more about some of these career pathways. Yeah. But I think the, the term work-based learning is thrown out there a lot, but a lot of folks may not know what that actually means. So what let's give them a definition of what work-based learning actually means. Yeah, I mean, when I think about work-based learning, I think about um, making connections with local employers in high demand fields, and then allowing a student to see uh, what's required to gain an entry-level position there, to learn some of those entry-level skills, and then know what the path forward is to be able to progress with that particular employer or in that same industry. And the good part is they get paid while they do it while also, you know, finishing out their high school diploma. Yeah. And you, I mean, there's multiple advantages. You're, they're getting hands-on experience. They're making a connection with an employer, which is huge. Yeah. 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 And at the same time, they're working on an industry credential that's going to give them a ticket into uh, a higher earning career pathway. Yeah. Can you give a, give a couple of examples of industry credentials? Cause I know that's, that might be a new thing for some people. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's multiple uh, careers out there that some people might not even know that it requires a post-secondary training or industry credential. It's like welding, mm-hmm. um, uh, electrician or electrician's assistant. I mean, electrician assistants make uh, just uh, a, a great salary, right? Uh, even plumbers, um, your manufacturing jobs now. I mean, for most part, most of those entry level jobs that you know, the, the kind of repetitive work that we think about when we think about advanced manufacturing, those are becoming more and more automated. So, yeah, those next level jobs in advanced manufacturing require some type of training. So, most of your manufacturing jobs that pay 
a living wage requires some type of industry credential. Sure. So, and I think this is where, when we answer this question, does career ready mean college bound by saying not really, this is why we kind of have to, uh, not just say outright no, because they're, you know, technical colleges like in Tennessee, uh, we have the TCAT network, you know, that provides an opportunity for students to go in and very specifically earn hours towards these credentials uh, so that they can get right to work without doing sort of the traditional college experience of all the, the academic core classes that might be included in a traditional, you know, bachelor's degree or associate's degree. So um, I think that's where we, we want to pause here and make that connection and say, we're not saying that career readiness doesn't necessarily mean college bound, but we're saying that it does require some type of post-secondary education or training. And that, that industry credential is really important for a lot of students because that becomes their ticket from the entry level job to a, a higher paying skilled job that pays an either, you know, a higher wage. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's also a good time to differentiate between just a job and a living wage job or a living wage career. Cause True, yeah. in, in my work, I always tell people I can get graduates jobs, high school graduates jobs all day long, but they're probably going to be jobs that they can't, definitely can't support a family probably barely support themselves you have to have that training and sometimes that just means a 30-hour program I've done that before with some high school students where they had a 30-hour credential that gave them access to a, a a good stepping stone career where they were definitely making more than minimum wage yeah yeah and you know in recent years, we've both had a decent amount of experience in designing and implementing work-based learning programs. So I think we can take a minute to talk about some of that with, with our listeners today. Um, in my most recent district role, we developed a program called LOOP, which this is an ac acronym, so <laughs> we didn't get too far with that. Uh, LOOP stands for Local Options and Opportunities Program. And what we did was identify a few advanced manufacturing partners uh, around Jackson, Tennessee that included Stanley Black and Decker and Delta and some of the Toyota uh, plants that support, you know, the manufacturing of Toyota's cars. And we had students that would leave during the school day and go spend half their time, you know, at the, on the plant floor, uh, putting together, you know, compressors or the chairs that go into your Toyota Camry or uh, the faucet that you have in your bathroom, uh, you know, some really cool things where they could see the process and learn some of those skills. And we even had one setup where students just reported to Stanley Black and Decker all day, their classroom was at the plant, and they stayed there and they got paid, you know, four hours a day, uh, which all of our students got paid for four hours of their time. Uh, but, you know, they really made strong connections with the employers and, you know, it, it was a really beneficial and positive experience for them. And, you know, I know you've, you've had some experience with some programs like that too. Yeah. We, in, in the urban areas I've worked in that had, um, a lot of manufacturing, uh, companies around there, especially the auto industry, we had similar programs, students leave school and, and we're earning actually a good wage and working on credential at the same time. But 
you know, I, I think this is also an important strategy for rural communities. I know uh, there's a lot of manufacturers in rural communities, but other sectors as well, healthcare and, and even some technology centers. And this past year in one of the rural communities, we set up a program where students left school in the morning, went and worked at a company, it's called Valmont, and uh, they, they welded for four hours, then the bus came, picked up those students, dropped off some more, and then they welded another four hours. And at the same time, they were working on those credentials. And I think an important thing to point out is, I think the most successful work-based learning programs is where there's an opportunity to, to almost guarantee some type of job because of that right. partnership with the employer. And that's what this particular company that was in a very rural community, uh, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll hire these kids right out of high school and we'll sure. up their wage. And, and so to me, that's one of the, that's a strong program where you've got those corporate partners that are saying, we're helping create this talent pipeline through work-based learning and we'll hire them after, yeah. after they graduate. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've heard nothing but positive feedback about these types of programs where students are engaged in work-based learning. Um, you know, I know our students, they took a lot of pride in their industry partner. A lot of them would get uh, t-shirts or jackets or ID badges with their industry partners logo um, you know, and they would like to wear those when they got back on campus, you know, be walking around with their, um, you know, Delta faucet or black and Decker, uh, ID badge, you know, around the high school, uh, yeah. which was, which was really cool to see them take pride in that and, uh, know that they recognize the importance because it can be difficult sometimes <laughs> to get high school students to be, that vested, but they loved it. It was like they're, it was almost like being part of the football team or the basketball team. You know, they really uh, had a sense of pride in being a part of that, you know, well, organization. They were also um, probably making a lot more money than that basketball <laughs> player walking down the hall. Beside. Yeah, that's true. You know, as a high school student making ten, eleven dollars an hour while you're at school, you know, that's not, that's not too shabby. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm sure people wonder how to get started uh, in a, in a process like this. And yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to it. You got to connect a lot of partnerships. It usually starts with the local chamber of commerce, and then you reach out through them to some local corporate partners that would be willing to right. take on this responsibility. Cause it's a, it's some extra work on that industry partners. It is. Side. Yeah. And then you've got to have some uh, people at the district that are willing to be flexible and work around yep. scheduling. Because it's a new way of thinking. There's a lot of logistics involved. How do we get them there? How do we know that they're safe? What liabilities involved? You know, there's a there's a lot to think through and, and plan through on that. Well, I, 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 honestly, when I came and visited your loop program the first time and I saw all the logistics involved in that, I, it, it either impress me that you were able to do that or <laughs> think he probably had somebody behind the scenes helping work all that out. Well, so. I won't reveal my secrets, but yes, there is a team of us and it just requires a new mindset, a new way of thinking to, to make these types of programs work. But I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? Like we're trying to accomplish things that haven't been accomplished. Uh, there's new fields emerging. And so we got to think outside the box. So I know we've thrown out a lot of ideas around work-based learning. So 
if you want to talk more about this, you can reach out to us on social media um, at Jared Bigham or at Jared Markle or contact us through our new website, www.edspective.com. Um, yeah, I think it, we, we almost make this sound like a magical process, but there's a lot <laughs> of nuances behind this. So yeah. definitely if you're interested in learning more about those nuances, uh, then we definitely had time to share for sure. on this episode. Just, uh, we love talking about this, so reach out. Yeah. So let's circle back to the big question we've been exploring. Does career ready mean college bound? So what's your final answer, Jared? Uh, I'm going to completely cheat and steal from your earlier response. Not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, I would agree. Not really. We're going to, we're going to have to disagree on something one day to kind of spice this up a little bit, but yeah, not really. There's lots of pathways. There's lots of ways for kids to get to a living wage. They, they involve further education and training, uh, but they may not always involve a traditional four-year degree. So lots of options for kids in high school these days for what they want to do. Definitely, which is great. So, all right, I think we've we've beat that horse to death. So join us next time where our big question will be, what virtual learning strategies are emerging as the most successful early in this school year? Which I'm amped to talk about that. As yeah, I, it'll be good. Uh, exploring about 89 different platforms <laughs> with my kids. So. You can talk from personal experience next time. Uh, definitely, <laughs> this will be a personal one. All right, thanks for joining. Tune in next time. Jared and Jared are out.